ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music and more. This is the Victorian Country Hour with Warwick Long on ABC Radio Victoria. A very warm welcome to you on the Country Hour this lunchtime. Out of the studio and onto the farm. Looking at corporate agriculture today, we're at the Go Farm aggregation at Katunga. This is incredible. It's about 50 k's between all of the farms. I've got processing tomatoes to my right. I've got almonds to my left. And I'm stuck in the middle with wheat in front of me at the moment. We'll be talking about how something like this gets put together. What is it? Do, what are the plans to do here, what, how you make something like this work, who you employ, how corporate agriculture might add or detract from the local economies and environment. Also, the plans around things like water and managing, changing a farming system from what was traditionally dairy farms to large-scale horticulture farms. All of that and more is coming up for you today. If you have a question for the people behind this today... You can send a text 0467 842 722. Liam Lennigan, the Go Farms Managing Director, is here. We'll take your questions today. We'll also speak to farm managers. We'll speak to those uh, about how to make a site like this tick from the granular level as a farm operation level. And we'll speak to a man called the Almond Doctor as well. He's touring from overseas, actually arrived here from Portugal and has been looking at almond trees here today as well. All of that and more is coming up, plus your questions. You can send a text 0467 842 Right now, though, let's get some rural news. Angus Verley has that for us today. Good afternoon, Angus. G'day, Was. After the hours of toil and sweat and money put into sowing a crop, the last thing you want is disease to pop up and wipe out your hard work and profit. Professor John West is Senior Research Scientist and Plant Pathologist with Rothamsted Research in the UK. He's speaking at the Australian Plant Pathology Society's Biennial Conference this week. He says disease issues are on the rise. It's a big issue because of climate change that can make pathogens become much more sporadic because of weird weather effects. Uh, also, just with global trade and travel going on, we've got more risk of introductions of exotic pests and diseases that pose a threat to, to farmers' crops and, and native plants as well. Uh, and so it's important to have methods in place to keep in track of those and, and put in the right surveillance and monitoring uh, so that we know whether they've arrived and uh, where they are. Mango growers in North Queensland are looking to a more uncertain future as many grapple with the impacts of a changing climate. Because of a warmer-than-average winter, mango trees had a delayed flowering this year. And with mangoes being picked in the affected regions at the moment, it's becoming clear this has resulted in lower yields. While it has driven the wholesale price of mangoes up, it has raised questions about the future of the industry. From inside his packing shed, grower Daniel Lafur says he's seen a massive reduction in fruit compared to previous years. Uh, well, it was what we expected. This, this, um, that first flowering was, was pretty dismal. Uh, we're just about finished it, actually. Um, uh, been really good quality fruit, but, uh, but just not much of it. Um, probably for November, it's probably about 20% of what we'd, what we'd um, have in November. So, so, yeah, numbers are way down. 
And if you poke your nose around an old farm shed in Western Australia, you could well find an Acremaster tractor. They were a popular tractor on farms in the West in the 70s and 80s for their simplicity, power and reliability. More than 40 years on, the wheel of the tractor industry looks set to turn full circle. Laurie Phillips from Philborne Meriden was making the Acremaster in the 70s and he's getting ready to start making them again. He says he's now at the point of taking orders. We're all ready to go early this year with components, the people. We're ready to get tractors in the field for, 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 the, um, for this year's seeding program. I have one, one order on the go at the moment for a farmer in New South Wales. However, he's having a, a very bad harvest. So at this stage, that, that tractor's available for uh, anybody interested. I've got a couple of people looking at it. That's about where we are. We're ready to go. We're ready to turn the switch on now. And was that's it for Rural News. Thank you very much for that, Angus. Angus Verley there with Rural News for you this lunchtime. This is the country. I'm on a lovely green lawn out the front of an old house that uh, has been repurposed into an office. I can see a little weather station out in front of me. It's starting to kick up with the wind, so apologies if you get a bit of wind noise on the broadcast today beautiful wheat crop out in front of us that looks just about ready to harvest and I'd imagine there'd be a harvester in it had it not rained with 22 or so millimetres last night as well so I can see the harvesters parked up to my left. We are at a really interesting and I, I almost call it a farm but it's not a farm it's multiple farms we're talking about today looking at corporate agriculture Sandmount Farms is part of the Go Farm portfolio. It is a fascinating sort of effort at turning family farm dairy and country into a big large-scale horticulture operation that requires someone like the almond doctor to come out and have a look at it we'll meet him later in the program today but sitting next to me is liam lenigan who is behind a lot of go farm the managing director of go farm they have a lot more operations than just this one and he can join you and talk about that exactly today and if you have any questions about go farm and how it works or corporate agriculture in general send us a text 0467 842 722 liam lenigan's happy to take your questions and if you're not that quick on the phone we might get him back before the end of the program where he can even put some more of those to you so keep them coming throughout the program 0467 842 722 liam lenigan thank you very much for hosting us here today warwick it's our great pleasure to have you it um it's terrific I was going to try and explain it, but I actually think you're better to explain it for me. What is GoFarm? If, if I talk about your company, what what is it and what's the idea behind it? Yeah, thanks, Warwick. Um, we're an Australian privately owned investment company. Our, uh, we're on a mission to be part of transforming Australian agriculture. Um, National Farmers Federation's got a $100 billion farm gate objective by 2030. Agribusiness Australia set a $300 billion target for whole of supply chain. And that that um, really speaks to, to our purpose. We want to be part of that transformation. And um, to do that, you know, we've assembled capital, um, a vision, a really capable team, and applying a, um, a modicum of courage. So could, can I step through some of that? Because yeah. that's, that's amazing to see. So you've assembled capital. How do you do that? Where do you go and say to people, hey, come and invest in agriculture? Look, it started close to home. So family and friends were in 2013. And from there, by word of mouth and by you know, execution, doing what you said you were going to do, others have taken notice and said, how do we, 
how do we get involved? And so, you know, we're very fortunate to steward the capital of family and friends, as well as, you know, some of the big known family offices from around Australia, particularly Sydney, Melbourne, Geelong and Adelaide. Um, and we have a couple of partnerships, um, one with an Australian institutional investor and one with a US-based agricultural investor. And in terms of then the, you say we had capital, we needed, we had a vision. What were you looking at? What type of agricultural land did you think you could buy and turn into something else? We didn't have a, um, a specific target at the, at the starting point in terms of we will be wheat farmers or dairy farmers or grape growers. It was really about looking at the history of wealth creation in agriculture and saying, where's the money being made? I mean, you know, unashamedly, we're here to create wealth as well as do a whole heap of other well, things. Well, imagine you don't do something like this unless you want it to make money, right? Correct. It takes um, a lot of capital, a lot of patience, uh, a lot of risk and, um, and a persistence to, to get to the result. But um, in looking at where's the money being made historically, it's really been about finding underutilised, undercapitalised assets and taking them on some sort of land use change uh, journey. And so we've set out to build GoFarm to create the insights as to where those opportunities lie, build the conviction that we can execute in that space and then go deep into those markets to try and do as much of it as possible. So that's interesting to my mind as well. You didn't have a goal of saying, I want to buy cropping country and turn it into horticulture or dairy farms and turn it into tomato or summer cropping. You're looking at it at a case-by-case basis, is that fair to say or...? Yeah, absolutely. Yep. So where are the, where are the markets or regions that um, possess the greatest potential and, and, and that aren't being utilised, right? And so I guess a bit of myth busting, you know, agriculture's hard, it's tough to make money, you know, you're, you're too bright to be a farmer, go and do something else. Well, we've called BS on all of that and saying agriculture's littered with wonderful opportunity, but it takes some vision, takes some capital, takes some patience and um, you've got to consistently do the right thing. So most of the farms you're buying, you're turning from one thing to something else. Yeah, we're not in the business of trying to be a better farmer than the, than the best family farmers in the district. That's not our caper. You know, hats off to them. They'll always outperform us. I think our, um, our superpower, for want of a better description, is being able to see the opportunity in a region that is yet to be tapped and going about unlocking that. And... Just how often have you done that? How big is GoFarm now? Depends on how you measure <laughs> big, right, Warwick? <laughs> it's a hot day or a cold day. But um, uh, How many operations do you have? Uh, we've got seven yep. um, portfolios running. Got- and each one is in... So in terms of the business structure, I suppose, for our audience to understand, when you say seven portfolios running, so each one of those is a different investment and almost a separate business under the GoFarm banner. Correct. Yeah. Yeah, so high conviction investors, we're not trying to build a diversified portfolio to minimise risk. We're sort of saying we're all in on the best opportunities that we see in the market. Now, they're quarantined in their own investment vehicles. So if Katunga fails, what we're talking about here, or doesn't perform as well as, say... It won't fail. Yeah, (laughs) Lake Boga, one of your other operations, um, they're almost different entities. You're not trading between the two. They're completely arm's length from yep. one another and they have their own balance sheets, they have their own P&L, they have their own general managers, they have their own teams, they have their own boards um, and so, you know, the governance structures are right too and, uh, you know, Tom and the team at Boga, they're very much focused on being the very best, um, you know, 
processed tomato growers in in Australia, and and that's what they're that's what they're doing. So, how far is the geographical spread of your seven operations? Is it largely Victoria or southern New South Wales? Yeah, or? New South Wales, Victoria, and Tasmania. And why were these areas particularly undervalued, or is that where your knowledge base is? A little bit of both. Yeah. Um, of course, you lean into what your greatest knowledge base is because I think that's where you can have more confidence around the opportunity sets that you're identifying. Um, but you know, there's been a lot of discussion and remains around you know, the shifts or the creation of the water market here in the Murray-Darling Basin, um, and then, of course, government intervention, disruption to industry, and all that change um, has created winners and losers, and um, uh, you know that's fact and unfortunate. But um, you know it's thrown up a lot of opportunity too. And so, in committing to our first investment, you know that sort of led us to discover another one. Can Can you give us some insight into that? Because I, I suppose people listen to our program or, or regularly call in, especially on issues of Murray Darling only see negatives. You just said you saw opportunity in areas to make winners and losers. What's the opportunity there? Yes. Well, look, it's right in front of us at the moment, isn't there? The, the, <laughs> government, the government's you know, going to re-enter the market and buy back significant volumes of water. The opportunity, as we see it, is to be able to demonstrate to other investors, to other farmers and to the community that there's far greater reward, both from productivity and from social and economic outcomes to hold the water and invest in optimising you know, its benefit, you know, both to, to our investors but to a broader region. And, and we're not going to do it on our own. That opportunity is available to everyone. And so you know, we think that's the opportunity, is not get stuck in a rut of, well, we're, you know, we're irrigated grass growers. So, well, you've got land, you've got water, you know, you've, got, you've got your brain and you've got your hands. What can you turn that to that might deliver a better outcome for you and your family or you and your investors? and your community and the environment. What's your personal history? How, how did you get to a place where this is what you wanted to create? Oh, I think I got told no enough when I was a kid, <laughs> Warwick. So I grew up on a family farm, fifth generation, um, you know, um, a conservative operation. And uh, I guess, as I said, told no often enough, I that put the fire in the belly to go and, go and prove that, it can be done, and, and but to do it, there needs to be risks and you need to um, outthink the opposition and, and have a go. Uh, there are a lot of texts coming in and questions coming in. Let's go through some of them quickly and then we might get you back later in the program and talk uh, about it more as we sort of finish up because I want to get down to the granular detail of what's going on here and we've got some of your staff to do that for us today as well. Uh, Some of the texts coming in, I love how I've already got a recommendation on the text line that I need to pick up flowers on my way home. Thank you very much for that text. Um, Some more coming in though uh, of the more serious nature. Um, How do you feel about growing almonds and their thirst for water making it harder in dry times for particularly dairy operations which are often family owned says one text here so that's probably going to the change like you know is is almonds more thirsty crop compared to the farming that was here beforehand yeah it depends how you measure it Warwick. is it megalitres per hectare which i think the listeners referring to there and and yes an almond tree will use more water per hectare than a dairy farm but if you look at um, calories produced or kilos of protein produced, then it's orders of magnitude more efficient in turning water into those outcomes than, than dairying is. But this isn't a, an almond versus dairy debate. You know, there's opportunity for all sorts of higher value crops in this region. 
you'll see later today we've put 200 hectares of, of um, tomatoes in. Um, Did you get pushback from, say, the local dairy industry when you said we're going to take these farms and turn them into something else? Um, I'd answer that in two ways. Yeah. One was there was no pushback. They were all willing sellers. And so, you know, we've bought 73 properties here. To, 73. To put this portfolio together. So there's 73 that had no pushback. And that was willing sellers, willing buyer. Um, and then, you know, we've represented the face of change as we've come into the district. And there's always, um, or our experience is, there's always a level of scepticism. Who are these people? What are they about? Is this a land grab? Is it a water grab? You know, have all those accusations levelled at you. Um, but we've made an undertaking to our investors, to our team, and by extension the community here, that we're actually here as a, as a positive um, change catalyst and that there's some things we're going to do. And I'd like to think that um, any of the doubters or naysayers could actually acknowledge that you know, the water's been held here, it's been turned into creating jobs. We've got, you know, today some 30 or 40 folks on farm, whether they be full-time employees, contractors or consultants, including from the other side of the world, um, you know, they're all getting paid, their families are here. Um, yeah, I think it's a good news story. And you actually had to engage the local community a bit when there was some angst at the start, didn't you? You, you got them out here for well, discussions? We, we didn't have to. We uh, <laughs> were browbeaten into it, perhaps, and, and agreed. And, and yeah, that was a... You know, that was to open the gates, and that's why we're so excited to have you here, Warwick, is to open the gates and, and get people in here. We're humans too. You know, we're not big, hairy, scary monsters. Nick and Dave might be, but you'll, you'll form your own view on them. Um, <laughs> the audience can in a minute. Yeah, correct. And, um, you know, we're just trying to have a go, and some people will get on board with that and think it's positive. Others will be, you know, cynical or dubious. You know, that's their right. And uh, another text here, and this actually is interesting to me from Rick saying, what are your strategic elephants, Liam? But what is the risk in farming like this? Is there risk in corporate agriculture? Oh, there's risk everywhere. Yeah, absolutely. The strategic... How does it compare to a family farm? So the strategic elephants... Um, yeah, so look, you've seen some almonds this morning and you know there's no other crop, no other almond crop grown more southerly or easterly in Australia. And so, you know, there's risks, right? What's all that mean? Can you do it? Will you be able to do it? Um, we've got a high degree of conviction and confidence about it, and we're about four months away from our first harvest. That'll be very telling. We like what we're seeing, but it's not risk-free. And um, you know, you've got to have the courage and the investment support to take these risks. But to get to the $100 billion or the $300 billion, as an industry, we're all going to have to take some risks. So they don't think it's 1% incremental change that gets us there. It's step change. And that's going to require courage and capital and, and some risk-taking. Liam Lennigan, thank you so much for hosting us today. We'll come back to you by the end of the program, but uh, great to have you here and great to answer some of those questions. Thanks for joining us. I'll get you to hand over the microphone. Nick Rally is with you as well. He is Go Farm General Manager of Sandmount Farms, which are these farms here. So we've, we've just talked big picture with Liam Lennigan about Go Farm, what they do, the, the seven sort of investments that are operating different areas of the country and how that's working. Let's talk about one. Let's talk about this one. Let's talk about what it's trying to do and how it is trying to manage the farm. Nick Rally can do just that because he's a general, general manager here at Sandmount Farms. Nick Rally, welcome to the country out. Yeah, thank you, Warwick. Thanks for hosting us uh, on your program and, and hello to all of your listeners. And when I say Sandmount Farms, the S is important there because this isn't just one big farm, is it? No, no, it's not, Warwick. So as Liam touched on just before, 
there's been uh, about 72, 73 transactions uh, executed uh, to pull this portfolio together. Um, some of them land, some land and water, some just water. Um, we we use the Sandmount Road or the Katunga Pakola Road. It's a a pretty important landmark. Uh, we are we're aligned with that road in an east east and west direction, and it's about 55 kilometres from uh, from one side to the other. 55 kilometres between all the farms that you're managing. Is that difficult to keep a handle on everything? Yeah, look, it is. And, and there's obviously a lot of work and a lot of planning goes in how to execute across that, particularly uh, with, the, I guess, the complexity of our enterprise and the enterprise mix. Um, it's in three tranches. There's, there's the Western aggregation that we refer to as Yelka. Uh, and, and it's approximately a third, a third and a third. Um, we have where we're sitting today, right in the middle, just, just to the west of the Katunga Township. And then we have the uh, the Cobram East aggregation out to the uh, to the eastern side of Cobram, uh, <laughs> and, and and that's uh, and and again there's there's multiple farms in each location. They're not perfectly contiguous, but but they they represent a, a group of farms. And how many hectares are we talking about? Uh, Six thousand three hundred. Six thousand three hundred hectares over fifty five kilometres. What are you growing? Uh, we have a pretty pretty diverse enterprise mix. Uh, so we're a winter crop and summer crop. Uh, in in the winter, we're we're very simple. We're we're basically a wheat canola rotation. We do a, a few faba beans uh, opportunistically. Um, most of that is is dry land, albeit the farms are all connected to the irrigation system. We've we've removed a lot of the old infrastructure that that doesn't lend itself uh, to opening up the landscape and creating the scale that we seek. Um, we have a summer cropping program which is growing corn, uh, corn for popping, which is a, a contract for human consumption. Uh, as Liam touched on, we've introduced processing tomatoes uh, this season. We have a, a multi-year supply agreement with Kagomi out of Ichuga. Uh, and, of course, our, our permanent horticulture, which is uh, dominated by almonds. And we also have uh, 71 hectares of, of mandarins. 75 uh, mandarins as well. Wow. So, so we're talking five or six different commodities that you're managing that have different growing cycles, different timing in years, and... Uh, different farms within a 55-kilometre network that you're managing. Is is that difficult to do? Oh, sure. I mean, there's all sorts of challenges. I mean, we've, we've, got, a, we've got a great team here. We, you know, we're, we're fairly well-structured. Uh, we we, you know, we recognise that the skills that come with those different crops are, are sometimes not interchangeable. So we have, we have an orchards team, and they're, they're dedicated to permanent horticulture. That, that's their role, and, and that team continues to grow and, and will we'll be ongoing as we develop more orchards. And then we have the annual cropping team, which, um, you know, wheat and canola is good fun uh, in terms of complexity. You know, it's, it's at the lower end of the scale. Uh, introducing annual perishable horticulture like tomatoes, you know, it really increases the, uh, the intensity and, uh, and the skill set and, and obviously the training and, and the opportunity that comes with that. And then how many, oh, actually, before I even get there, you're just talking about the teams. How many staff are you talking about operating these 6,000 hectares? We're, we're 18 full-time staff presently, but we have numerous uh, you know, contractors and, and labour hire that we use for, for intensive periods, you know, such as planting an orchard or, or planting a tomato crop. Um, so, yeah, but 18 full-time in, in the Sandmount team. And, and that's growing and will grow? Daily. <laughs> uh, and, and it needs to grow. And, and I guess that's, you know, that, that presents a, a significant challenge in itself. Um, but it, it, it really reinforces the point of Liam with, with, the, uh, with the capital and with the investment and with the vision um, it takes that to then drive the opportunities around building a team, you know, contributing to community. Um, we have a whole range of different roles, be that um, you know, equipment operators, a bum-on-a-seat type role through to, to highly technical roles, be that irrigation or agronomy or, or you know, site management, etc. So there's a, there's a wide range, 
um, we need to uh, we need to keep finding those resources. We need to uh, outcompete others who are equally looking for resources, uh, human resources, um, and and you know we think we've got a a pretty compelling uh, opportunity to bring them into this region. Do you need to find somewhere for them to live too, or is that difficult here? Yeah, it is. It, it's it's a common problem, and it, and we are we are absolutely not immune from that. Um, uh, prior to coming onto the program, we were chatting, and, and yeah, one of the things I mentioned to you was we do, we do a lot of meeting and interviewing and, and and sizing up candidates, and and irrespective of the role, that the number one question that comes and and is and it is a real deal breaker is do we or do we not have a house for people to live in? that's how hard it is for prospective staff to find somewhere close enough to the farm to work, even in Victoria. Absolutely. There's no question. We have a lot of farmhouses. Of course, we've bought a, new, a number of farms. Um, we have a lot of houses that come with those farms. Uh, there's all kinds of maintenance and, and uh, issues that we need to resolve, um, but we, we simply don't have enough houses to, to house all of the people that we'll need uh, to fulfil our goal with, with the Sandmount Farms project. And can they... can if you don't have a house for them, can they just find a place in Katunga or Numerka or Nathalia? Is that easy? No, it's not easy at all. That, sure, people, we can find houses, um, but it, it's not as if we can just ring up the real estate agent and uh, and they'll pop uh, four or five options on our desk to, to present to a, to, you know, a job candidate. Um, that kind of uh, supply of housing just simply doesn't exist. It, it's very, very competitive. That's really fascinating in terms of building something like this because you need people to do it, don't you? Yeah, look, and, and, and you know, just to, to point that out even you know, in more detail, we have a we have a, a significant contracting firm that we've engaged uh, to come and help us lead the uh, the Capital Works. Uh, that's a company from from South Australia, and uh, and we're in the process of them uh, setting up temporary accommodation for their own staff, for, for you know, for engineers and uh, equipment operators and site supervisors, uh, etc. Um, there is not a reliable stream of accommodation where they've got their own staff coming back and forth from, from South Australia and, and wherever they may live, uh, they've, they've taken the view they need to solve for that themselves, which, which obviously we're very supportive of. So that's fascinating. Even the, the contractors you're using need to find housing, and that's difficult in itself. And Nick Rally, I'm, I'm conscious I've got news headlines and weather coming up. I'll chat to you more about that uh, afterwards. In fact, we might save until afterwards to talk about the plans for the future for the farm, because you're not done yet, are you? There, there's a whole lot more to happen here. There's, there's a lot more to happen. You know, I think we're, we're just getting revved up. All right, we'll talk about that after the news and weather and we'll bring in uh, one of your colleagues as well to talk through some of that too. But before that, let's find out what's making regional news headlines today. As you're listening to the Victorian Country Hour live from Go Farms, Sandmount Farms, uh, big insight into corporate agriculture, the thinking behind it and what it plans to do in different regions. It's through one company today. That's what we're doing at the Go Farms uh, operation here at Katunga in Northern Victoria, which is about half an hour north of Shepparton by road. Right now, though, let's go to the regional newsroom, uh, though, where Faith Tabaluyan is waiting patiently to deliver headlines. Good afternoon, Faith. Good afternoon, Was. The armed crime squad is continuing to investigate the shooting of a 28-year-old man in Mowi on Monday night. The man was shot in the upper body after an altercation between two parties at a Hawker Street unit. Five men and one woman were arrested, but no charges have been laid. A man has been injured following a truck crash on the Hume Highway near Holbrook. Paramedics were called to the scene at about 5.45 this morning, where they treated a man in his 20s for minor injuries. The man was then transported to Albury Base Hospital in a stable condition. Police are investigating the theft, the theft of hundreds of sheep from a farm in the state's west. 
about 600 sheep and 16 breeding rams were reportedly stolen from the property near Ballarat in multiple incidents between July and November. Detectives believe a livestock truck or trailer may have been used to carry out the thefts. Pyrenees Shire Council is planning for a second housing development in the western Victorian town of Beaufort. The council sold the last blocks in its 100-lot Corrier Park development last year, after seven years and five land releases. Pyrenees Shire Council CEO Jim Nolan says council is working to boost Beaufort's housing supply because develop developers aren't investing enough in the town. Greater Shepparton City Council is seeking community feedback about a proposal to purchase and develop land for health worker accommodation. GV Health's proposal would see housing for hospital staff developed on a section of vacant land at 45 Parkside Drive. The council is also considering a Department of Health proposal to establish an early parenting centre on a neighbouring block. For more news, you can visit the ABC News website. Thanks very much for that, Faith Tabalooyan there with uh, regional news headlines. Uh, you're listening to The Country. I have plenty of texts coming in. I will get to those and I will put some of those questions to uh, our guests, uh, well, yeah, our hosts, I should say, here today in Go Farm, where we're broadcasting from. Magpies are up ahead. A little bit of wind around, which I've decided I don't mind wind in the microphones now because when it stops, the flies seem to come out because uh, there's pl- plenty of those too and they're quite sticky today. Uh, there is a question from Mal from Allerdale who says, I'm shearing my goats. How much rain for Ballarat? Says Mal, Mal. Uh, I'll take it as a comment. Let's go to uh, Lincoln Trainer, who is a senior forecaster at the Weather Bureau, can take us through, well, when that rain's going to come and how much you're expecting, because I think the guys here want to know as well. G'day, Lincoln. What are we looking at? Hello, Warwick. Yeah, good to be with you today. Um, so, yeah, a bit of an interesting story this weekend. Um, if, if we kind of step back a, mi- a bit, we, um, we were going for one of the driest months on record in November and this weekend we'll actually almost get to our average rainfall total with this weekend of rain coming. So it gives a little bit of an understanding of what we're heading into. Um, and why why is that is because we have uh, this kind of inland trough um, extending down from New South Wales and that's like an axis of low pressure. It's a surface feature and uh, it's lying over central Victoria and that's going to move slowly west today um, and it's going to meet an upper feature in South Australia and then it's going to slowly move east across Victoria, turn into a low pressure system and we know with low pressure systems that brings rain and that's so that begins uh, from in Western Victoria tomorrow, particularly um, this low will start to form and deepen a little. Um, and so today there's not a lot about. We do have a risk of a thunderstorm in the Mallee, um, but not expecting a lot um, and not a lot of rainfall across the state. It's pretty warm. You know, you're in your mid-20s, getting into the low 30s in the north. Um, but tomorrow, as this, this feature begins to develop uh, in the west, we're going to see some thunderstorm activity across northern Victoria, particularly in the Mallee. Um, we're expecting potential severe thunderstorms there. And if you're talking about rainfall amounts, um, you know, it's the Mallee that's going to get most of it kind of more um, Friday, Saturday. Um, we'll, we'll see other northern parts getting it, but the Mallee will, should get a little bit of a drop. Uh, I've, I've had a look at some totals. Um, so 
Yeah, heavy rainfall is likely with some showers and thunderstorms on Friday and Saturday, particularly in the northwest and the north. Daily totals of up to 25 to 35 mil, uh, particularly if you get those thunderstorms um, for the Mallee on Friday. Uh, daily totals of about 15 to 25 millimetres in thunderstorms in the central and western districts. Um, more on Saturday as that feature moves east. Um, and we might see 25 to 35 millimetres in the northeast district on Saturday as well. So we're, we're going to see a little bit of rain about, definitely some thunderstorm activity. Um, we'll see some wind in that, potential hail, large hail. And um, we, we will probably have some severe weather warnings out, particularly for the med, um, for the Mallee of potential um, flash flooding. Not... It's only going to be small um, events um, that when that will happen. Um, so I don't want to kind of raise too much alarm, but it will, will meet the criteria that if we get a heavy storm, it could could create a bit of rainfall in a, in a short amount of time. Hey, Lincoln, just in my mind, I'm thinking of the guys probably, if they haven't been stopped already by the rain this week, going madly up and back trying to get as much harvest in before those rains come. So when is that first rain likely to hit, the, particularly the northwest and the Mallee region? Yes. I'm looking at the synthetic radar at the moment, and it looks like it's going to happen tomorrow. Uh, it begins around. I'm just look, doing the math on it. Probably six, seven a.m. in the morning. It starts. It starts. So, so you. Uh, that's good information to know. Around. Thank you. Yeah, <laughs> Thank yeah. you. <laughs> Thanks for that. Are there going to be a lot of warnings over the next couple of days with that? I think um, it's a very dynamic with the thunderstorms. So the severe weather team are going to be going into uh, almost a double roster all overnight, keeping an eye on that. And uh, there's the state emergency services are on alert now, and they're going to be looking at all of that. Um, and uh, as as things develop, they'll be put out. So please look at the Bureau website and the emergency websites as that happens. Um, in terms of Sunday, Monday, it's still a bit of a round. Um, we've got shower and thunderstorm activity contracting eastwards as the low moves over the Tasman Sea. So we'll see the eastern half of the state starting to see that rainfall. So daily totals, 20 to 30 mil in thunderstorms on and south of the ranges, mostly in the west and south Gippsland, east Gippsland and the northeast. So there's something there for everyone. Um, it'll really depend on where those thunderstorms pop up and though they can give you some moderate to heavy falls, you know, in a short space of time. So it's going to be a bit of a wet weekend starting from the west uh, Friday, Saturday, uh, and then contracting to the east on Sunday and then finally easing on Monday. Um, and we'll, and it'll be quite warm Saturday, warm and humid, but we get a cooler southerly behind as that low moves to the east. Uh, the state will cool down on Sunday, so we'll go from those warm temperatures down into the um, high teens, low 20s. And uh, I suppose just also with my mind to particularly harvest at the moment and a lot of fruit crops out there at the moment, that threat of hail, sort of how widespread and, and how concerned should some of those people be? At the moment, I'd like to say it's it's a risk, but it's not a significant risk at the moment. Um, I reckon we need to check back tomorrow. For Friday, it's definitely in the um, only in the northwest corner of the Mallee. Um, and again, 
it's, it's a risk there that we're going to monitor closely. Um, that risk could spread into more central parts uh, Saturday. That's the day where we might see it spread further down. But right now, I would say probably rainfall is probably the main thing on my mind, and there's a slight risk of hail. So we do need to keep an eye on it, but it's not the big risk. Good information, Lincoln. Thank you so much for going into depth for us today. It's really appreciated. Thanks for joining us. No problems, Warwick. Take care. Lincoln Trainer, there, Senior Forecaster at the Bureau of Meteorology, taking you through the full forecast. And I know many of you will be sweating on that one. So hopefully it gave you uh, the information you require. A lot of texts coming in. We'll get to those as we go. Gary or Butch on the text line says, Afternoon was busy stripping oats at Emu. Not going too bad. You need a core cat for the flies. <laughs> right, Butch? But uh, it's it's actually not that bad. There's only a few. It just shows you how soft I get sitting in the studio most days these days. Butch has sent some beautiful photos in of stripping oats too. Much appreciated. You can always send us a text if you'd like. 0467 842 722. If you'd like to send us a text of a photo of what you're up to, I love seeing it. And we post a couple if we can too uh, because that stuff is good for the world to see. And shout out to Cav from Ward Brothers who's in the bucket just off to the side of us he's already texting in privately to some of the uh some of our guests here today and well it's good to acknowledge some of the people doing the real work today isn't it so uh shout out to you cav i hope you're enjoying your work out there it is 18 to 1 here on the country we are at go farms uh, Sandmount Farms today, which is around Katunga, but 55 kilometres of, of northern Victoria from Cobram East to Yalka, uh, spread a bunch of farms that are all part of the same organisation, uh, planning a bunch of different commodities and planning to grow. We'll speak to Nick Raleigh about that today. Over 6,000 hectares he was telling us about and what was here before. But Nick, we alluded to the fact that you're not stopping here. What are the plans for this site and, and how quickly does that grow? What are you going to do here? So, Warwick, over the last couple of years, we've done a lot of work, I guess, uh, yeah, testing and, and researching and, and developing a level of confidence that the horticultural future that we think this region can support is, is in fact, doable. Um, we have a whisker over 400 hectares of, of almonds planted presently. Uh, we approach our first harvest uh, with the, the first trees uh, this coming February. So, first ever harvest for this whole operation in terms of almonds is is coming in a couple of months' time. That's correct, yep. That, that's, uh, that's on our doorstep and uh, we're busy preparing for that. And I guess we, each time you go through the next phase of the crop, you develop the next level of confidence and it's on, it's on that basis with uh, the works that we've done in those orchards specifically and, and the other crops that we've done and developing our team of people uh, is that we're embarking on you know, fairly ambitious development plans. Um, you refer to the laser buckets working just beside us here at the moment. Uh, that's the first step of the next 500 hectare development. So uh, over the next uh, seven to so months through until July next year, we'll develop a, a separate new orchard, 500 hectares or 520 odd uh, planted. Uh, that's part of an 800 hectare development here at the site where we're sitting. Uh, we're embarking on circa 500 hectares of, of new development each year for, for the next you know, few years. Can you just 500 hectares per year of almond orchard going in? That's correct, yep. That's, uh, it, I imagine that's going to keep you very busy. It, it is. I mean, and, and you know, it, it's, a, it's a very significant commitment to this region. Uh, it requires a lot, of, a lot of capital and a lot of energy. Because there's not a lot of almond orchards around here. Are there any? No, there's none. There's, yeah. there's no other commercial almond sites here. Um, so you're as far east 
as almonds go? Correct. We're, we're the most uh, east and south commercial almond development in, in Australia. And you're um, confident enough, 500 hectares a year is your mandate that you'll be doing from here? Yeah, we're certainly confident that that's deliverable, and, and it's it's you know it's a big task. I mean, it's not it doesn't just happen. Is that there's a, a tremendous amount of work. We're supported uh, greatly out of our office in Melbourne. I mean, yep, there's 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 us on the on the farms here doing doing the doing. Um, but in terms of designers and contractors and and a whole range of other experts, and and you know we have uh, David Dole here with us today. Uh, there's there's a lot of people involved. It's it's not just a couple of us here making this happen. Um, it's it's well researched. Uh, it's, a, it's a significant commitment. Uh, it's not risk-free. Um, and, and we have tremendous support from, from our investors and our, our bank. It doesn't happen without all of that whole team coming together. Uh, but it's a, it's a significant undertaking. So how many hectares of almonds will these farms have when you get to the end? Uh, our, our goal uh, in you know, six or seven years' time, we, we think we can get to about 3,800. Uh, there's, a, there's a lot to happen between now and then. So there's a lot of other farm still then to go so will you always be growing processing tomatoes and crops like we can see here or what's the plan for the rest of the place i'd like to think so there's absolutely no reason why the region can't support it um there's 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 a whole lot of uh things that push and pull on that water you know seasons uh, availability of, of appropriate contracts um you know there's there's a whole lot of other partners that we need to work with but uh, we think we're off to a, a, a pretty good start um we've got we've got um, great commitment from from a lot of our development partners and, and customers. Um, we uh, we think this is a wonderful portfolio. That the strength of this region, in my mind, absolutely is is the optionality. It is completely unique. Um, we've got a lot to be excited about. Uh, not just here at Go Farm. I think the whole the whole community does. Um, deliverability risk of water through the Barma Choke. There's. Uh, you know, there's civilization. I mean, there's a lot of people. There's a lot of amenity. There's, you know, there's tremendous social infrastructure. Um, you know, all of that excites us, um, and uh, and I guess that gives us the confidence to push on. So you're passionate about the region and its offering for agriculture. Can this encourage more investment in your mind? An operation like this? I'd like to think so. Uh, I'd, I'd, it, look. We don't have a mortgage on all the good ideas. I'd like to think we can demonstrate a level of leadership and, and hopefully. Um, you know, out of that, some others might take an inspiration. Um, Liam said it at the start, we're opening the doors, we want people to be here. Uh, I grew up in the region, you know, I am passionate about it. It's got, it's got a lot to offer and we need to promote that and, and, uh, and really be encouraged by that. Just before I move on, and I want to talk uh, even job prospects and, and what life is like as an employee in a moment, David Baker's going to join you. But just as I leave you, Nick Relly, there a text here saying, so Nick, is there jobs for an 18-year-old female just finished year 12 and likes agriculture? I think there's job offers uh, or <laughs> coming in on the uh, on the text line. We're not hard to find. Give us a call. We've got we've got job opportunities for everybody. We've got and yeah, we've got some young kids here from. We've got a young 18-year-old from New Zealand. We've got a a, uh, a guy that's just finished year 12 uh, from from Moama who's joined us for a gap year. Uh, we've got some foreigners here from uh, from England and Germany. Um, and, and, and we've got some old folks too. So there's, there's opportunities for whoever is prepared to come and, and really have a go with now, us. Was, Nick, I'll get you to pass the, the microphone over. He was looking at me, David Baker, when he said we had old folks too, but uh, did, did that feel like a personal attack? You don't necessarily need the headphones if you don't need. Uh, <laughs> what's your role here, Dave? Uh, so I'm project manager, Warwick. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but um, yeah, you talk old folks. Yeah. <laughs> I'm here. What, what drew you then? to work on this because uh, I imagine your career's been going a lot longer than Go Farm, if you don't mind me saying. Yes, yeah, so I've 
yeah, I was born in Don all around the Donald region, but now I went up to Queensland, come back. Um, I, I guess uh, it was just uh, a job that come up, you know, as, as everyone does, looks in seek, and I'm sort of look after assets and buildings and projects and and that type of stuff, and uh, interest me. So, uh, and and moving in here, I found the job fantastic. Uh, yeah, the team's great, great culture. David, thank you. That's David Baker, project manager here at GoFarm, talking about the, the careers and, and working in a place in corporate agriculture. Liam Lenigan, I'll come to you just to finish the program off today. Uh, there's a number of texts here all talking about similar things. Um, James probably sums it up the best, actually, in terms of saying, while I commend GoFarm for having a real crack at profitable agribusiness, they certainly have flattened significant areas of existing family dairy farms, of which some were large and quite profitable. There looks to have been significant loss of landscape, old farm trees and plantations and other natural assets as a result of this large buyout. Hopefully the loss of paddock trees, etc., will be replaced somehow, says James at Tatong. That's a comment, but but the idea of buying dairy farms and significantly changing the landscape. What do you say to the people that have some angst about that? Yeah, it's a good question and an important one to ask. I think fundamentally everyone likes progress and no one likes change. So there's a bit of that in the in the question or the statement, I think. Um, in terms of our environmental stewardship, we take that very seriously. Um, you know, we're part of a global sustainability framework. We've introduced it here in Australia along with um, some peers. Uh, we measure and we report. We're accountable to... Um, that framework as well as our directors and uh, our investors and the community at large. Um, there's been a lot of obsolete infrastructure taken out um, for sure. That, that's gone and that's about you know, creating the blank canvas to be able to move forward to higher and better use. Um, in so doing, though, we've taken the opportunity where possible to recycle materials and we've, we've collected over 10,000 tonnes of concrete across these farms. We've brought a quarry crush in and we've crushed that and we're using that as road base on farm. We've recycled tens of thousands of pine posts back into our development. Um, the tens and tens of thousands of rubber tyres that dairy farms accumulate for silage covers um, are an environmental hazard and um, we've spent considerable sums of money gathering them up, packing them up and sending them to Melbourne for recycling. So, um, yeah, environmental stewardship is something we take very seriously, we're committed to and we invest a lot of time and, and effort into. And I think, you know, can hold our chins up and say um, we're doing as good a job as anyone, if not better. So uh, Charlie was also asking about environmental stewardship, so that probably um, addresses that. But... but um there's also concerns here. There's a couple of different uh, uh, texts in along the line of uh, your place in the community. Bill, Bill at Kentunga says, do you sponsor local sporting clubs and schools and other people talking about uh, your place in the community as well? How do you see GoFarm in, in all the communities where you're operating? Well, I think we bought Bill's farm, so um, Bill knows that we do uh, via him and directly. Um, you know, we're sponsors of the Pecola and district football and netball club. Um, we sponsor the league as opposed to any individual club because every two miles there's another club up here, Warwick, as you know. So um, rather than playing favourites, we look after the league. We've created scholarships for students at Charles Sturt University and have directed um, the university to, to uh, seek students from, from this region in particular. 
Um, and then there's, you know, Nick touched on flood recovery and all those sorts of activities that, you know, we do without fanfare. We do because we're part of the community and we're not looking for accolades. It's just part of being a good citizen. Um, how much are you putting into scholarships at CSU? Uh, $1.3 million. Why did you decide to do that? Is, is that something that brings a benefit back to your business? Um, yes, um, indirectly. I was given the opportunity when I went through university to have a scholarship and it created, you know, the career and opportunity that I've got now. Um, It's about putting something back. And I think agriculture's been tremendously generous to me. It's been tremendously generous to my partner, the Costa family out of Geelong. And the scholarship is one way of putting something back and creating an opportunity. That scholarship... um, um, is in place to give First Nations kids and kids from um, lower socioeconomic um, upbringings the opportunity to enter into an industry that's been so generous to us. Uh, another text here just to, to finish off going, how do you come to decide what enterprises go where and what money is spent setting up infrastructure? Yeah, so top down and bottom up. So top down we have a team um, an insights team that spend their days understanding market dynamics, regulatory changes, climate change, uh, land capability, etc. And so they're originating those insights and then bottom up from the teams on farm sort of saying, well, okay, if you want to take this asset to, to this endpoint, this is what's required. So it comes from both directions. Uh, is that difficult uh, to come to the point where you make the the final call to pull the lever on an investment and and or press the go button no it's not difficult we don't always have consensus though do you need consensus to do it no no i think it's courage of of conviction um someone's got to own the own the outcome and and we as a business have a philosophy of not admiring problems but solve them so yep identify the issue make a recommendation own it promote it and and move forward. Um, Just to finish off, Len Lennigan, thank you very much for having us here today. But what do you think the most misunderstood thing is about GoFarm or corporate agriculture in general? Um, I think there's there's a perception that um, corporate agriculture doesn't care about regional communities or about assets, and it couldn't be further from the truth. Um, You know, I think... um, Australian agriculture, to prosper and be at its best, needs more capital. And where that comes from, you know, I'm very benign on it. I don't um, don't, uh, have a strong view one way or the other, other than more capital, more investment, more development, more progress is good for agriculture, an industry I'm passionate about. And it's it's good for farms and it's good for farming communities and families. Thank you very much for hosting us here today. It's been great to get an insight into your business. My great pleasure and you're welcome anytime. That's Liam Lennigan here at Go Farm at Katunga. It is a well warmish day, but there is plenty of rain on the way, as you heard in the in the weather there. We're probably going to uh well, pack up and go and have a look at more of the ventures around this place with so many different farming operations being grown. There's certainly plenty to look at. Back in studio with you tomorrow. Thanks for joining us on the Country Hour.